This podcast is funded by Ted Dintersmith, the executive producer of the acclaimed film Most Likely to Succeed, and the author of the best-selling book What School Could Be. Hey everyone, this is the What School Could Be podcast. I am your host, Josh Rapoon. This is the third in a series of special episodes that come from the Game Changer and Big Think Speaker series in the whatschoolcouldbe.org archives. Keep in mind, the audio comes from Zoom calls, so expect a couple bumps and knocks along the way. On the other hand, the conversations you will hear are incredible for their depth and insight into what school could be and what could be school. Humans have always been creative hustlers, problem solvers, who seek to live beyond the limits suggested by society. Yet we live in a world where the place you were born, the amount of money you have, and the level of melanin in your skin indicate a precise path you are expected to follow. Too many of us silence our creativity and let our hustle calcify as we settle for the roles assigned to us. In this special episode, moderated by Susanna Johnson and Kapono Siati, you will hear Olatunde Subamehin and Sam Seidel, co-teachers of the Creative Hustle course at Stanford University, help you identify and navigate your own creative path that leads from your gifts, your unique combination of skills, to your goals, where you make a living doing things that matter. Sam Seidel is the K-12 Lab Director of Strategy and Research at the Stanford D School and co-author of four books, including Creative Hustle, Changing the Conversation About School Safety, Hip Hop Genius 2.0, and Hip Hop Genius Remixing High School Education. Olatunde Sobamehin is the CEO and co-founder of Street Code Academy, a Silicon Valley-based nonprofit that offers free tech classes to communities of color. Olatunde is a proud graduate of Stanford, where he majored in urban studies, led a public speaking class in the engineering department, and played on the top 25 men's basketball team, where he was also voted most inspirational player in 2003. And now, here are the hosts of this remarkable conversation, Kapono Siati and Susanna Johnson. Welcome to our Big Think Conversation. My name is Kapono Siari. I'm executive director of What School Could Be, and I'm joined by my co-host, Susanna Johnson. Hey, Susanna. Hi, Kapono. Thanks so much for that, and thanks for being here, everybody. Um, Susanna Johnson, director of coaching and curriculum with What School Could Be. And just want to introduce our guest, Olatunde Sobamehen, CEO and co-founder of Street Code Academy, a nonprofit for, um, that teaches free tech classes to communities of color. Taught at several um, classes at Stanford's Hass Center for Public Service and the D School, where we can also find uh, Mr. Sam Seidel, the Director of Strategy and Research at the Stanford D School's K-12 Lab and the author of Hip Hop Genius, Remixing High School Education. They together embody creative hustle. And um, I, I, like I said, I can't say enough that I'm so excited to have this conversation with you all. But before we get to deeper, you guys introducing your stories and your bio, 
I would like to start us off by unpacking the title, um, which is an incredible critical thinking move just to unpack that that mindset. And then I saw that you had done that when I started reading the book. I was like, oh, this is good. So would you mind please sharing the unpacking of Creative Hustle? Uh, first of all, it's an honor to be here. Um, Sam and I, for various reasons, um, really aligned on on doing some work. And, and one of the main reasons was that we both came from uh, a passion in building bridges across different communities. So he had done work in the past um, where he was working with folks that were incarcerated. Uh, he was working with folks who, um, you know, had opportunities to go to Ivy League universities, right? He, so he, he spanned this, this, this array of opportunity and I had the similar background. And so we wanted to come up with, with a phrase um, and we wanted to come up with a title of a class. It wasn't supposed to be a book at the time that would appeal to that broad of an audience and would invite folks into learning and make that learning accessible. And that's, that means a lot to me because I'm around so many um, communities that feel like, even though the information may be relevant, even though the, the but the environment and the, and the, and the packaging and the, and the way it's presented is not inviting. And so we landed on this phrase, creative hustle, after all that we'll talk about. Um, and we love that title. That title has really done what we aimed to do, which was to give the sort of appreciation for the wide spectrum of ways in which genius shows up and the ways in which goals show up in the ways that which, you know, contribution shows up. So I love it. But two words, imagination and action. You know, we were going around today in a strategic planning process and they asked me what my superhero superpower is. And I think it's very similar to, to Sam in that we both believe in miracles. Like we've seen things enough to where you could imagine it and it could happen. So that's the, that's the imagination. That's the creative part. But then we've also known people who have lived only in that imagination, who have lived only in the dreaming and haven't actually put it to practice. And so the action is about how do I make this happen on a day-to-day? How do I actually materialize this in the world? And um, that's the action piece. So imagination and action. Can I uh, push into that a little bit? You know, the subtitle is Blaze Your Own Path and Make Work That Matters. I just had a really neat conversation with two community educators today. One of them has a mission-focused business, and the other is starting up a nonprofit. And they were talking about supporting, in this case, students and educators in service learning was what they were packaging it as, but really what it was was attacking systems of privilege and dismantling systems of oppression and then you know reconstructing systems of equity. And that was really, really big work. I kind of almost wanted to hand them a copy of your book. I, I'm, I'm not at home, so I wasn't able to hand them a copy of your book. Not necessarily because your book points their path forward, but I think your book inspires what they were asking, which is like, all right, I have a business, a mission-based business owner. I have a nonprofit person. We kind of have this dream. What do we do with that? Like, what are the next steps for it? How are we going to make that happen? Have you got, what were your inspirations as, as you guys sat down and wrote this book? First of all, uh, let me just start by acknowledging how powerful and how beautiful that example is, because I think we're going to see this more and more, right? Our inspiration was really you know, what Sam and I have spent a lifetime doing. And I, wanna, I don't want to get into that work, but the work that he's done, he's now at the, at, the, at, the, at the D school, the design school at Stanford University, and they're trying to inspire creative confidence. I'm at Street Court Academy, looking at how we offer, you know, innovation, um, you know, skills and training and mindset to communities of color, 
to inspire freedom and to create the kind of life that they want to live. So we're all about that work, right? We're, we're heads in. We didn't need any inspiration. That is our life work. It was to trying to figure out how to inspire people to make work that matters. At the same time, I do want to mention how, how inspiring what your example is, because I'm seeing this as a trend. People are being, um, you know, I had one sister that told me today, she said, I saw a post on LinkedIn about all of the folks that are being laid off. And what she said was there's a red pill and blue pill. You know, one pill is saying, do you want to continue to um, move as, you know, status quo? I'm not pitching the layoffs as, as, uh, as evil. I don't want to pitch that. But, but you'll get my point in terms of like finding a place that sees you in your full humanity, finding a place that, that speaks to you in your, as your, in your, as in your values. Or are you going to take another pill and just kind of find another way and recreate and blaze your own path that may not have been path, may not have been paid before? This is speaking to a wide swath of folks now. Yeah. And this is like the question that everybody's asking. So we just happen, I think, to have great timing where people are really asking the question, man, how do we make work that matter? I'll give you one more example. And these are all, I think, speak to your question about what's the inspiration. But we had a 57-year-old mm -hmm. graduate of the Stanford School of Business that said for our 30th reunion, I now think about the world differently. When I was 28, I thought about make work that makes money. When I was 57, I want to make work that matters. And so now you have not just a moment sort of, of understanding the industry, but a little more introspective of someone who's saying, man, now I want to have a shift. So from all these different areas, right? You got young folks seeing how corporate America is moving. You got older folks who participated and seeing how it leaves them in, the, you know, in their soul. Everybody is saying, man, we want to make work that matters. Those are all pieces of inspiration. But Sam and I have spent a lifetime investing in that and seeing the beauty that comes from that. When they gave us opportunity to put it in book form, we were excited. We don't, we aren't um, encouraged to or taught this. And I know I've had creativity and imagination and skills in my life. I feel like that was something that was really strong when I was very young. And But I don't ever, like that label of creativity is tough. Do you find that people are, are experiencing that too or where creativity is the hard piece? That's the thing I think a lot of people are feeling. So, and Janelle's echoing me in this too. Yeah, like where is the creativity and how fun would this be to do with, with students who might still have that imagination piece as strong in their brain as they, they should? I mean, I think that we all, well, all is always a very strong word. Most of us, most of, you know, most of the time receive these messages as we get older that uh, only a few of us get to be artists. Only a few of us get to be creatives and the rest of us are supposed to sort of fall in line uh, and do whatever that thing that we were trained to do um, or, you know, a role that society has kind of picked for us. That's why Blaze Your Own Path is such an important part of the subtitle of the book. You know, it's that old, uh, we are all educators in, you know, on this call, I think, like the old adage or whatnot about like asking a group of five-year-olds, are you creative or are you an artist? And everyone's hand goes up. And then by the time we're teenagers, you know, 5% of our hands go up. That is not an accident. That's, there's there's a lot that goes into that becoming how we're conditioned. And I think our our hope is that with exercise, we can stretch those muscles. Um, they're not gone, uh, but they, they may have atrophied. So there is real need for most of us to figure out how to, sh how to stretch those muscles again. 
And I think, I mean, the other piece I'd point out here, I think there's creativity in terms of the content of what we're doing. Like we're trying to put creative work of whatever sort into the world. And then there's creativity in our approach of how we're doing that. And those are both really important, right? So that again, is that blaze your own path piece. It's like, it may not be as simple as someone posts a job description that is already ready-made and you just pop into it. You may have to actually be part of shaping that um, and making the space for that work in the world. Not easy stuff. So all of that takes exercise. And you know, this maybe is a good place to say a little bit about the D School, which is where Tunde and I first met and first taught the Creative Hustle class before we even had an idea of doing a book or workshops or all the other things we're now doing. Because the D School is really about that. It's really about helping people build creative confidence and build creative abilities. And so it, it felt like a fitting place to, to have this conversation because it's in the context of an institution that has been created and developed over the last 15 plus years to be a space for folks from all walks of life to come for that, like, um, you know, uh, if we're using like an electric car metaphor, you know, that charge, that creative charge, charging station. So it is needed, unfortunately. And on the, on the bright side, I think we have a lot of good exercises and tools and resources to help people get that turbo boost. Can I push it on here for a second? Cause Susanna, you know, you, uh, gotten to really dig down deep into the book. I was just telling you earlier, I'm actually in Cairo right now and I don't have my copy with me. But for people who have never even opened it up yet, they were interested. Olatunde Sam, can you tell those people about like, what, are, what do they get? They know about the title. What, what are they getting in this book? Yeah, I mean, basically, I mentioned a minute ago that this started as a class that we designed and taught together. And I think that's really important to understand when you're trying to understand the book, because we really, the class was a powerful experience for our students and for us. And we really wanted to put that experience inside a book. For instance, the way we taught the class, it started by hearing stories from some creative hustlers who have inspired us, meaning Tunde and me, like folks that we knew either closely or maybe more loosely. Like I think, you know, one, one of the folks we invited in is like a close, close collaborator, brother, person we've, you know, just been in the mix with. And then someone else was someone we, I think I, one of us had met once and we were just like, this person's amazing. We want to learn from them. Um, so just in the way that we structured the class that way, sharing with getting our students to get to hear these real stories from real people who have been through a lot, we wanted to do the same thing in the book. It's, it's partially the stories and what's said, and it's partially just seeing um, the people and the images that, that uh, represent what they've done. But we, we structured it in the same way that we structured the class, which was three big areas that we believe are really important to uh, everyone's creative hustle. And we believe this partially because in interviewing all these creative hustlers, it kept coming up that these were the things that, that they had developed and cultivated. One is a really strong set of principles or values that guide their work. This is like their North Star. This is how they say yes to these two things and no to the other 98 things that are coming across their radar. Um, so that's hugely important. And so how do you figure out what those principles are? The second is people. It's who you surround yourself with who you collaborate with, who you are keeping an eye on and kind of benchmarking and like, how, how is what I'm doing related to what these folks are doing? And then the third is practices. It's like the rubber meets the road. Like, okay, what am I doing on a daily basis, a weekly basis, et cetera? Um, what does that look like? Um, so I can have a lot of ideas. What are the, the actions that, that attach to those ideas? So that's how we structured the book. Um, and then 
just like our class where we had this activity that helps folks think about how they move from their gifts to their goals through those three lanes I just described, the book is structured the same way. So we start out by asking readers to take some time and think about what gifts they have and what goals they want to set for themselves. And then as they're reading through the book, we're trying to help move them across from gifts to goals. Um, and we actually ask people like bust out a marker, bust out a piece of paper, like let's really do this together. Um, and I feel like at points in the book, you can feel Tunde and me like trying to leap out of the two dimensional pages and like grab you, not in a like aggressive way, but just like, let's go, let's do this. Like this is, this is the work. Um, and so, so that's the setup of the book is really trying to, um, uh, both take all the good elements of the course and, and offer it to a lot more people, um, and also gain some things that we didn't have in the course, right. That, that are allowed by having the kind of time horizon of a couple of years of crafting this thing to really tune the dials and, and get pretty precise with some of the kinds of, um, stories and prompts and, and invitations that we share. You know, and the way you frame it too, like establishing your code, knowing your network and creating your rituals, like that actually has helped me to calm it down mm -hmm. so that I don't feel overwhelmed about the, like my gifts. What are those? Like that's too hard sometimes. <laughs> so I love that. But um, there's questions. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? I, people just get so jammed up on the gifts and I, yeah. I mean, I totally, I love it because I relate to it. It's like the hardest part for me to say, to deign to suggest that I'm like good at anything or have have any particular gift. And so one of the ways that we've found is really helpful to help folks such as myself think about it a little differently. We have a number of prompts for like helping people into that question. But one of them is like, what's something that people sometimes mention that they think you're good at or yeah. bring bring to the world? I've found that that's really helpful. It's like, oh, well, I don't would never say I have a gift as a writer, but people do mention that from time to time. So uh, I guess I could put that down. Um, so I just wanted to share that because we hear that like, probably more than any other piece of feedback is like, I got stuck on the gifts. Like I know my goals, I know my principles that guide me, but gifts. Well, and what I did was I dipped into, the, I just skipped ahead and dipped into my network and asked them, you know, so there's that. And, I, and other people have done so them recently good. too, right? So I think that that's- Even better, yeah. Yeah, yeah, it's, it's, it's like, how do, you, how do you get there? And so that it's great. And I think that this also comes to this question of combining ambition and imagination and moving into the space and a great question that um, Josh has brought up. Wonder if you could speak to the connection between finding a purpose and creativity. If purpose drives one forward and it, it feels like purpose also drives creativity, right? So. Yeah, I love the question because, you know, to your point, Susanna, which, which is a point that I've found so consistent in hosting these exercises and these classes is that you know, whether it's the classroom, whether it's the workforce, whether it's even within the context of our own households, we don't get enough, we don't get enough time to be asked, to ask the question, what are our goals? What are our goals? We don't get to ask the question, you know, what are the principles that guide us, right? And then to look at it in one snapshot and we, you know, to, to echo or to add on to what you get in the book, you get these inspiring stories, you get, it's, it's, it's almost, you know, feels like an Instagram feed because it's just constantly sort of feeding you with information and inspiration and it, and you feel like you can kind of move through it quickly, but you get access to this canvas, which is a eight and a half by 11 sheet or any kind of size sheet of paper. And you can quickly sort of craft up this gift to goals canvas and where, um, Capono, you can, uh, you can, you can quit. I, we posted this up in 15 minutes and where you can, quickly draft your, your goals, quickly cap your gifts, what are your principles? And you can move through it, you know, 
one minute each question and kind of get through this. But to but but it it what it does, and this is to the question, it it drives home a purpose. What am I really trying to, what am I really trying to get through in the world? And and then it forces out what I loved about Sam's answer was creativity is not just the output, it's the process. So now I'm getting creative about how do I move from my gifts to my goals. And that when you have a sense of determination and drive around a purpose, now you find out how I'm going to make it work. And Susanna, you were an example of that, right? When you when you said, I really want to get these gifts down, I have a question that was a, you know, sort of a mini purpose. Let me get that down. If I don't have the answer, I'm going to go to my community and they're going to help me get the answer. But somehow, some way, I'm going to find an answer to this. And that sort of uh, purpose drives the creativity, right? And one of my favorite chapters is, uh, in fact, it's the chapter that Sam held up, uh, was one of his longtime homeboys named T.C. Ellis. And T.C. Ellis has his, his really gripping emotional story that I both resonate and respect um, his story. And it's, it, it mentions moments where he took this extremely risky move of like producing a song that was unauthorized uh, about, you know, for Prince, about Prince. And it ended up where he was, you know, Prince's first, it had a good ending to the story, right? He, he became Prince's first signed rap artist. But that risk and that move was from a place of like, I got to put it out there. And there was so much drive that the, it led to a determination. It led to a creativity in him finding his purpose. And that kind of drive is so powerful. I mean, we have, you know, uh, Tessa Aragone, the Odichi native, Filipino immigrant, who talks about the challenges of watching her father not be able to negotiate, um, you know, negotiate for a car because of a language barrier and what that drove her to do when she got into the world of designing, you know, she was working, I think, for GM and designed a whole new process for, for, uh, for, for purchasing cars that led to the first online through GM's website being able to negotiate online. So you didn't have to deal with that language barrier in person. So it's just this, this, let me have a purpose and watch the different ways that that purpose drives me to be creative in getting there. Auntie Puanani is uh, one of my elders, one of my kupuna, one of my mentors. Um, she's a social worker, a teacher, uh, a native Hawaiian. Um, she's my, you know, native Hawaiian Japanese Yoda. Uh, she certainly is, you know, doesn't look 700 years old, but she has the wisdom of somebody 700 years old. And she, she, when she facilitates, and and so in this case, she's facilitating a group of 12 uh, boys who are in a special education class. Um, she starts off by asking them uh, a uh, to tell a story about. Um, their name, a story about their community, and a story about their strength. And she's working in communities, uh, in predominantly Native Hawaiian and Pacific Islander communities, predominantly socially and economically disenfranchised communities. The kids can tell a story about their name. They all have a story about their names. So they were teased for something. They were named for something. 
Uh, and they, you know, she works in communities where it's really easy to tell a story about, you know, the community. They're dynamic. They're they're amazing places. They're hard. They're they're great. There's there's just things, right? They're thick communities with lots happening. And she always knows when she gets them to tell a story about their strengths uh, that that's going to be the hard part. And she's facilitating this group of twelve boys, and they're going around the table, and they get around once in their names. They get around twice in their communities, and as a third time as they go around, she can feel the heat off of this boy over here. And as it gets closer, she can feel the anger, and she can feel the anxiety. Um, and when she gets to him, he's totally silent, and she's using her Jedi mind tricks. Um, and uh, after working through him for a second, he just pounds his fist on the desk and stands up, and he says, you know, if I had any, any effing gifts, I wouldn't be in this effing class. And he just storms out. And at that point, the bell rings, and it's just all a mess. And she's, like, regretting you know, Jedi mind tricking him into this situation and the wrong moment and the bell ringing. Um, and then, you know, two days later, she bumps into him at the local supermarket. You know, every every neighborhood has a the, the type of supermarket that uh, you bump into people at. Right. And this one is uh, Tamura's in this neighborhood um, that she's working in and she sees the boy and she, oh, she's like, this is not the place I want to Jedi mind trick him out of uh, out of this. I want to I want him in a good setting. But of course, like he catches her eye, she catches his eye, and he bounds over to her with this big smile. Auntie, he says, Auntie, it was missed the day before. Auntie, Auntie, I was thinking about your question. I know what my gifts are. When I go spearfishing, every time I go spearfishing, I can bring a uh, fish home and put food on my parents' table. And when the shark swims up and looks at me, I look him back in the eyes and I say, Uncle, I'm only taking what I need. And the shark swims away. I know what my gifts are. I can, I can feed my family. And uh, he gives her this huge hug and runs back to his family. And at that point, Antipoa turns to us, the educators, right? And she's like, what role did school play in having this boy not know his gifts? Why did he need to wait to senior year to figure out that he had gifts? And did we play a role in him feeling like he didn't have them, didn't have any gifts? It's it's a really, you know, she uses a story to 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 to, to ask us to question how we can do this better in schools, which is why I do have a question. I have a, a pitch and a question. The pitch is February 27th, 2023, 5 p.m. Eastern, 2 p.m. Pacific. There's one big step, the follow-up from this discussion. Um, and I do hope everybody joins us because I think in that one big step, we will explore how do we do this? Uh, how, do we, how do we take... Um, uh, the you know the, the recipe that's in this book, Creative Hustle, and make sure that other kids aren't like this kids, that they actually have an opportunity to find their gifts. Anyway, I hope you guys can show up on the 27th. So question, like educators, right? Educators tune into this thing. We don't want to facilitate, we don't want to be part, a part and we don't want to be party to a system where our kids don't find their gifts, don't find their strengths, don't aren't able to live out their their North Stars. What if you guys... I mean, what, what are the tools from the books? What have you guys seen? What are some examples of, of this working in schools? I'm a teacher. What do I do? What, 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 what's working? Well, first of all, thank you for sharing that story. Um, what was the name of the, the elder who shared that with you? Uh, Auntie Pua. Auntie Pua Nani Bird. Thanks. Yeah, thank you to Auntie Pua. And thank you for relaying it to us. It's a powerful story. And I think it speaks to so much beyond creative hustle, just Tunde and my work in education over the last several decades. I, I don't mean to speak for you too much here, Tunde, but just through all the conversations we've had, I know that this is something that drives us both. I mean, um, we've both dedicated our careers to various forms of ed education, both in communities and 
in and outside of school buildings, I guess I'll say. Um, and one of the things that's driven me at least out of school buildings more, more frequently is the desire to not have that happen, not have someone get to senior year and not have be able to speak to what a strength is or feel like it's been honored. Um, going back to the point about creativity, not having people get to senior year and having decided or been told or inferred that they're not creative. I mean, we, we definitely can do better. And a lot of my career has been either working outside of schools or working on schools that, that do right. Project-based schools, schools that ask young people could be, what are your strengths? Could be, what are your interests? Um, and I, and I think like one of the keys, maybe I can tie this back to, I think it was Josh's question a little bit around purpose. I also think we have to be careful not to lock kids or anyone of any age into something because it's a strength, right? I, I did, I was good at this one thing once when I was five and now everyone's telling me that's what I have to do forever. Like I had an amazing poetry teacher who got me excited about poetry. I don't know if I would have loved poetry if I hadn't walked into this room and seen this person who was on fire about this thing, right? So I think there's a mix that I, that I think we need. But what I like about purpose is like, purpose is something bigger. That's not a particular strength or a particular solution. That's like a force I'm trying to move in the world. And then if I'm really clear about that, hopefully I'm also really open about everything else. Like what are all the ways that I could get there? What are all the different ways I, so what are all the different ways that that young person could have fed his family? Like that may have been one, maybe that was the best one, the right one for that time period, that place, but getting clear that there's also other ways. So if the fish, if there's a storm, if something happens with those fish, whatever, like if he's clear on what that is, hopefully he can find other routes. And, and that's some, a place where that creativity might come in to say, I know what I want to do is feed my family. What are all the ways I can make that happen here? Um, so my hope is that we both really honor the strengths and brilliance of young people um, in our schools and outside our schools, people of all ages, but I think we're talking here about, about you know, kind of K-12 students, really honor those strengths and that brilliance, but never, you, never use that to confine what we think they're capable of. So I think, Susanna, you mentioned my, my other book, Hip Hop Genius, right? And a lot of that book is about honoring young people's brilliance in the realm of culture and music. But I, one of my concerns with that book and with all the work I've done in that area is, not wanting that to be confused for saying, oh, that's all these students can do or should do. That folks may be really talented in that area. Maybe they want to explore another genre of music or, or culture. Maybe they just want to do something entirely different, right? Um, so wanting to really be sensitive and say like, the most important thing I think is understanding what are those values? What is that sense of purpose? What are you trying to move in the world? And that doesn't have to be static. That can, you know, st young people can develop that. Um, and then, trying to both honor the ways that that's already making sense and happening and making space for young folks to explore new channels and avenues. Josh had had a comment earlier about sort of the unlearning of what we've done to structures and taking away creativity. Is there, do you have some like immediate advice strategies thinking, how do you, or maybe it's a, it's even a precursor question of like, how hard is it to get even educators to back up a little bit and let go? Because that's you do spend a lot of time in that space too. But is there a process for that unlearning or a step one of, of letting go of our preconceived notions of either pigeonholing or not honoring our own strengths? Like there are two, two flip sides of that that are really detrimental and we've got to unlearn that stuff. Thoughts on that or ideas? In me trying to 
figure out the answers to the question that you mentioned, right? How do we unlearn what we learn? I have four children in the, in the school system and I see the lack of my, my time, my ability to sort of think about some of these big things. I want all of my kids to know their gifts. I want my, all of my kids to know they're not fixed in a particular gift. I want all my kids to know this life is a process and, and I, I want them to know those things. And there's so few opportunities for us to ask, ask those questions that, because it's so jammed with everything else except that. And I love that, you know, one of the things that I've, that I've loved about our process, and it was intentional, um, and I appreciate Sam for, for kind of bringing up the example. We had, when we first came with the class, a very polished form. And it was beautiful. It was, it was well, it was semi-beautiful, but it was at least, you know, designed. And, you know, Sam coming, I think, from the D school or coming just from his, his background, um, asked the question, well, should we have it be designed or should we have it be scrappy? Something you could do on your own. And I'm so glad we chose the scrappy route because it's, it allows people to be able to keep asking the question. And while I have no, no I'm, I'm doing a couple of, in fact, I'm doing a class for fifth graders on Creative Hustle coming up in, in our Streetcard Academy class. And I can't wait because we're going to be asking those questions very early. What are your gifts? You know, what are your goals? What are your principles? I mean, I can't wait to ask fifth graders, you know, what, what are those things and to have them develop. But here's the hope. The hope is not that you have a finite piece of paper that you could put down in a frame that will mark the rest of your life. No, the hope is that you get in the routine of checking in with yourself and asking the question. And over time, you develop and know that it's ongoing because I myself have dozens of these sheets. Every time we do the workshop, I do another sheet. I come up with another way to kind of hone in on what are my goals, what are my gifts. I have another way. So when I get asked a question like this morning in the icebreaker, what's your superpower? I now am thinking about my sheet and the left-hand side of all those things that I labeled as my gifts. And over time, I begin to hone in. Oh, you know what I really do? My gift is really in just believing in miracles, which is what I said today. And that, but that came from, oh man, you really see possibilities in others. Oh, you, okay, you did. And so eventually I got to be able to put some language to a gift that I might not otherwise have. And that may be different on how I articulate it the next time I go around. If I can say it in two, two words, or two bullet points, one is make space for it. You know, make space to ask these questions within every context that we have. And two is just honing in on that, on that beautiful point that Sam made, which is, this is not locked in. This is scrappy, y'all. We're gonna have to re- we recreate these, you know, time in, time out, because it's a journey. We learn more about ourselves. We learn more about our place in the world. And those things will shift. I, I love, I love that and co-sign it. Um, just was trying to think of a few resources for folks who are like really hungry, and like want to start, want to do something today themselves with their colleagues at the next staff meeting, uh, students, if you're listening and on, you know, with, with peers and you know, in a, in a group or in a class and just two resources. I mean, one, the D schools website has a ton of stuff that's useful for this. One of the most famous ones is the marshmallow challenge, which has been, you know, one that's been used in schools a whole lot, but, um, two other websites, in addition to the D school, uh, resources page on the website, one is, um, stokedeck.io, uh, or if you just Google stokedeck, I think it'll probably come up, which is just a whole set of 
uh, activities to stoke uh, different aspects of design processes. It's not all about creativity. Some of it is about empathy or or other aspects of the work that we do, um, but definitely has a lot in there designed to stoke creativity, improv games, just it's fun stuff. It's relatively quick stuff. Um, the other one I was going to mention is called protobot.org, which just gives you an endless series of kind of random uh, ideas to prototype, right? So um, like, I'll pull it up right now and just tell, you know, maybe I can share one. So um, design a way to check stock prices for a spy. Design a wedding dress that is alive, right? Th these are endless. I'm just hitting randomize and it just keeps giving you new ones. So um, that can be another tool uh, if you've got a group to just play around and get sparked with some ideas that probably wouldn't have come up in your staff meeting otherwise. Um, and I think there's some suggestions on that site about how, like, how to do an activity around it. Definitely between those three, I think there's a lot of good fodder to get, get things started and pull other people in with you, right? Um, most of these are group activities, not solo. That's amazing. Thanks for all those resources. Um, I think that those are, uh, I, I only know a few of them and I appreciate it. I think most of the people uh, watching will have uh, a lot to, uh, a lot to explore. I appreciate that. Um, we're getting a little bit close to the end here. And, uh, you know, I think, um, when people hear D school, um, they think design thinking. So before we get offline, well, one of the things they think about when they hear D school, you know, definitely for Sam, but for both of you guys, um, state of design thinking today, anything that we should be thinking about anything, uh, you know, if, if you were giving the state of the nation of design thinking right now, uh, specifically in education, what's happening? Where, where, what are we, what are we looking at right now? So that's a huge question and something that we're thinking about all the time. Bono. So thank, thanks. And, and, and I'm cursing you for asking that because it's, you know, it's, it's a tough one to do succinctly, but, and, and for anyone who's, who's on right now, um, I would love for you to drop in the chat, your thoughts on this. Like, I don't, I, I feel like, like I said about Tunde, like many of you all may in some ways know better because I'm so up close to some of the stuff. A couple observations I'll make though. One is I think that some number of years ago, there was that notion of design thinking or human-centered design was getting popularized in the K-12 realm. And so were conversations and trainings around racial justice and equity. And I think the distance between those conversations, I don't think there ever really was, but I think there was in terms of how they were occurring in the world, I think has has shrunk and needs to shrink. And those are not two separate topics. I think that, um, well, they are in a sense, but I think that they're very interrelated is what I'm trying to say. And if we're serious about making the kind of big changes that we need to address systemic forms of oppression in our K-12 systems, we need creative approaches. We need more empathy. We need to exercise our collaboration muscles, right? We're not going to run relatively business as usual and see the kind of changes we need to achieve the, the, the types of equity people are, are talking about. And that I, I hopefully we aspire to, we need, we need those design tools and design can't and shouldn't be done in, in isolation from thinking about those systems, from thinking about the historical forces of oppression that have our schools have not been immune to, have been a part of. Um, and so the conversations I think really need each other. And if I was to do like a state of the union or whatever, as you said, around designing K-12, the conversations are more and more finding each other. There's way more 
conversation about those intersections of racial justice, um, equity, systems change, and design than there were a decade ago. Um, so I think there is movement there. There needs to be more movement there. Um, the other piece, and it's not disconnected from that, that I'll highlight is the move, the in intentional move that a lot of folks have worked really hard to bring about from designing for uh, to designing with. And this notion of co-design um, that I think, you know, has been bubbling and present for quite a while, but it's more and more central. It's it's rare now that I walk into a room or log onto a Zoom or whatever, and there's a conversation going on about designing K-12 and they're isn't at least conversation about engaging the students or whoever the design work is supposedly on behalf of engaging folks in the process as designers. So sometimes it may be happening more or less. Sometimes it may be more aspirational, um, but it's in the mix of conversation in a way that I wasn't seeing again, uh, you know, a decade or so ago. So I, those are some trends that we're very aware of. And frankly, just to be transparent that we've been working on in the lab over the last five years, like when we create an experience, when we bring educators in, students in, funders in, you know, from education philanthropy, those are the topics that we're digging into together. Um, if I could share one last theme and I'll try to do it quick. I think it's a shift from, and this is beyond K-12, this is more around how we're thinking and talking about design more generally, from thinking about design as a relatively linear process to thinking about it as a set of abilities, mindsets, um, et cetera, uh, that can be built and deployed in different sequences and, and combinations, uh, depending on the, the big challenges that we're working on. And I think there was a long stretch where a lot of what people saw design as was like, a, a you know, a relatively sequential process. And, um, I don't think it ever has been that, but we're putting a lot of energy and trying to be deliberate about making clear as we teach design to our students at Stanford, our students in the K-12 sector and beyond. It, it isn't just that. It isn't just a one, two, three, four, five, rinse and repeat. Um, there's ways that you bring these different pieces in um, to the work you're doing, depending on what, what you're working on and what needs to change. Okay. <laughs> Thanks for it. Yeah, I do want to, I, I, we do have time. I'd love to hear your take on it, Olatunde, being in it and then also not as in it as Sam is. What What, what is What's, what's your thinking on uh, on the state of design thinking of today? Yeah, I, I can't I can't give <laughs> I can't give a state of design thinking. I, I think you know to um, my connection uh, to the D school initially was that I run um, a community based um, education nonprofit called Street Code Academy, which exposes um, and trains. Uh, communities of color, the mindset, skills, and access they need to enter the, the innovation economy. And design being what we said was the creative aspect of the innovation economy. But what, what has shifted in ours is very much aligned with what I, I think Sam spoke about, the broader state of the union, which is that now our students are looking at design not as a pillar of the innovation economy, but as a mindset to really push the bounds of, of of whatever they want to create in the world. And I think that is a theme that I'm seeing is that people are willing and confident to take on historic structures and reimagine something new. You know, for example, the work I'm thinking about now, we think about like our 10 year, where is street code in 10 years, et cetera. Our community is looking not necessarily at needing to fit into current structures, but how do we create new structures, right? And that 
that again speaks to that blending of like the um you know struggle for freedom in you know in all aspects of like the civil rights or you know cutting out these barriers and then also you know what are the what are the tools that we have educational tools technological tools and how do those how do those blend and to talk about whether it's the coding skills they have or the entrepreneurial skills they have or any kind of creative uh, uh, thinking or design thinking that they have is going to be used towards building something that's going to give them joy, peace, love, freedom, ultimately, in all aspects of their life. And for communities of color that have had to sort of fit within a context that was that was not created for them to succeed, that's that's pretty powerful. It is empathy. It's 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 creativity, feeling of purpose. Um, and it's the, the humanity of, of the human being that is really all that we have to focus on in education. Everything else will be taken up by some technology, but it is really those three things. And so based on that, I really want to encourage people to pick up your book, Creative Hustle. Uh, it is an amazing read. It's not just an amazing read. It's, it's a tool. It's a tool for making some change, a really meaningful change. On that note, I'd encourage everybody to join the What School Could Be community and thank my co-host, Susanna Johnson, uh, and thank our two amazing authors. Thank you guys so much for your time. Olatunde, Sam, it's been really, really amazing. Thank you. Thanks, gentlemen. Thank you. All right, take care. We'll see everybody real soon. Peace. These special episodes are edited by Kim Diltz and Evan Kurohara. Our theme music comes from the vast catalog of music created by my friend of 40 years, the remarkable pianist, Michael Sloan. Producer of 12 albums with over 100 songs, Michael Sloan is featured in Apple Music, Spotify, and all major music platforms. You can also find his work at his YouTube channel. Michael has listeners in over 100 countries and over 2,000 cities to date. Support these episodes with remarkable, innovative, and imaginative educators and education leaders by giving us your own rating and writing us a review at your favorite podcast store. Please join the What School Could Be global online community by going to community.whatschoolcouldbe.org or by downloading the What School Could Be app from your favorite app store. The What School Could Be podcast is brought to you by Josh Rapoon Productions. Send your feedback to josh at whatschoolcouldbe.org. Follow the show on Twitter at WSCB Podcast. Until the next episode, ahui ho and take good care.